Welcome to Let's Play Business. Welcome to Let's Play Business, the show that explores how games can make people better at business and business better for people. Welcome to the show. My name is Ben Fowler and I'm here with my co-host, Zuki Majkwana. Zuki, please say hello to our adoring fans. Hello, adoring fans. I am Zuki. Uh, great to meet you guys. One episode in and we already have adoring fans. Isn't that wonderful? We do, we do. You know, I mean, maybe it's just our mothers, but hey, they're adoring <laughs> and they're fans. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. So, uh, so just to explain who we are. So, as I say, my name is Ben. Uh, I am the director of a company, a founder of a company called Ten Experiences. We provide gamified experiences, largely in the business space, uh, and just, you know, like games and are passionate about how games relate to business. Zuki, tell us a bit about yourself and why you're here. I'm Zuki. I am a chief marketing officer at a leather leather accessories company. Yeah, we're in an e-commerce business. We sell online. My background's a little bit bit a little bit different to Ben. I've been working in kind of small businesses and agencies for most of my career. Yeah, I'm also passionate about, you know, how uh, business problems can be solved in new and interesting ways. And on the weekend, I like to play a good game. So here we are. Uh, before we begin, really, just uh, a little bit of a warm up. Zuki, how you doing? What's going on? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, it is January 2021 right now, for anyone who's listening in the future. And we are peak pandemic. Uh, so I have not left my house in weeks and yeah, it's, life's pretty thrilling right now. How are you, Ben? Yeah, pretty similar to be honest. I'm living that lockdown life. Also, I realised that these, uh, these podcast intros are probably the only time that we will actually ask how each other's doing because I think that pretty much all of our other conversations are related to planning the podcast or something else business related. Uh, so we take business very seriously, listeners. Very seriously. Ben and I used to be friends, but now we are... Uh, associates. Associates, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, on each episode, the way this is going to work is we're going to have three rounds, or you could say three levels. The first level, Game of the Decade. So we're going to take our favourite game on that particular episode and find out what it taught us about business. Level two, Dingo's the Interview. We're going to invite a guest on and ask them about their business journey and how games may have helped them along the way. And level three, final level, Game My Problem, where in 60 seconds, each of us is going to come up with a game that'll help solve one of your business problems. Zuki, you feeling good? You ready? I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling really good. Uh, I'm hoping that half our listeners haven't just dropped off at the sound of that, thinking, what on earth is this? Because uh, it's going to be good, guys. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Level one, game of the decade. Welcome back, listeners, and welcome to game of the decade. Oh, yes, it is time for our first round. So, Zuki, for this first episode, I'm going to I'm going to take the first game of the decade. You take it for the next episode. So make sure you've got that lined up for a couple of weeks time. Deal. When you say deal, my game of the decade is Monopoly Deal. You ever played it, Zuki? Have I played it? I have played it. It's an excellent choice. Would you give it out of 10? Oh, out of 10. 
Uh, I'd have to give it. You know what? It's probably up there as an eight and eight point five. It is a Ooh, good game. I feel, I, had, I feel like I had a boss before that that said that uh, British people always like they're they're incapable of criticism and always score things too highly and things like that. So I feel like that's reflected in the fact that you've just gave a fairly simple card game an eight and a half out of ten, like on a scale that will be used across all games that we talk about. Yeah, I mean it's the game of the decade, Ben. It's uh, it's got to be good. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, if, if it had six out of ten, then it's questionable that we put it. Yeah, then it's been a rubbish decade. Uh, which so far the, the 2020s as a decade have been pretty rubbish. So maybe maybe a six would suffice. Yeah. It's it's been up and down it's been up and down but monopoly deal so monopoly deal what's the jam so with monopoly deal so i've been playing this a lot so, so we're recording this in january and i was playing this a lot with sophie my wife over december so lockdown you know we didn't do much over christmas in terms of seeing people so most evenings we played a few rounds of monopoly deal and i I didn't really know how good a game it was going to be at first because I just thought oh, it's a really simplified version of Monopoly. It's going to be a bit too simple, probably. I'm not sure how well this is realistically going to work. So I had I had pretty low expectations, uh, but my expectations were were confounded. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, let's go with it. Let's go with it. Yeah, let's go with that. Confounded. And um, so my expectations were confounded in that it was actually really quite addictive as a game. There was something I noticed about the strategy around Monopoly Deal. And it really reminded me of that situations I've been in at work or, or whilst I'm running alternate experiences. Uh, so in Monopoly Deal, so the way it works basically, for listeners that haven't played it, so you're given five cards at the start and there might be about four players. I can't remember how many max, I think maybe eight players max. It was just me and Sophie, but I think it's like two to eight players. So you're each given a hand, you're given five cards each. And then what you do throughout the game is you pick up more cards off the main kind of deck pile and when it's your turn, you can play up to three cards. So you can burn your cards pretty quickly, but you pick up two each round, I think, as well. And those cards will do a variety of things. Some of them are action cards. So that action might be to charge the other person five million, which goes in your bank. It might be to steal one of their cards, you know, all different types of action cards. You've got your property cards. So like Monopoly, you're collecting properties and you're trying to get complete sets of properties. And then finally, you've got your, your cash cards, which are basically, you know, one million, two million, three million, et cetera, et cetera. So your, your bank pile. And you're trying to get to three complete sets of properties, basically. And each game probably lasts around 15 minutes-ish. So it's like speed monopoly in that sense. And one of the things I really noticed when I was playing this game with Sophie, so it can fluctuate so wildly in terms of how strong a position you're in with your hand. So... At one point in the game, you might be an absolute nadir. So you might have no complete sets. The other player might have two complete sets and they've got three sets that are nearly complete, like really on the brink and you don't know how you're going to claw back. And yet somehow it can be quite common that you do from that position really claw back quite quickly and all of a sudden end up in a position of strength. And obviously part of that, yes, is about, you know, it's a fairly simple game. It, there's, you know, there's only so much required to make that flux but what I really noticed was it really focuses your mind in a strategic sense to uh, what actions can I take that have the most impact so it might be that you might think right if I play two particular cards that you know I might have one of them I might need one from the deck but I might have two particular cards I want to play and I know that if I play those particular cards it will have a significant impact on the state of play of my hand so it gets you to think really strategically about it so that you kind of you cut out all the noise and you just focus on the exact cards that are going to have the most bang for their buck the most impact and I was playing this and this really made me think of 
situations in in the workplace and in jobs I've been in where you can feel like completely overwhelmed or just can't fathom how you're going to overcome a particular challenge or whatever it is sales target whatever you know whatever it might be and it kind of made me think of the importance of if you just focus on maybe two or three key things that will have the most impact to like flip that position and try and cut all the other noise out then a it can make this the situation feel a lot less overwhelming because you're just concentrating on the few key actions that have the most impact and it just increase the likelihood that you actually complete those actions because you're so concentrated on them so it's just it really encourages you to think the game really encourages you to think like really strategically and i was just like oh this really reminds me of those kind of situations in work does that you know does that ring a bell at all from when you've played uh, monopoly deal oh absolutely ben this is this is what i'm saying this 8 8.5 goodness like monopoly deal is is up there it's speedy it's quick uh, it takes the, like monopoly is one of the most popular games of all time like uh, and it's taken that format and made it a much more competitive and exhilarating kind of uh, experience and everything that you're saying yeah that, that rings a lot of bells like I've played it um, on a number of occasions where exactly as you say you kind of start in a position where you're, you're on the brink of defeat you have some fortunate cards in your hand you're put in a position where you kind of ignore the fluff I suppose you're forced to kind of play in, in the only way that you can it's kind of like that kind of sink or swim kind of thing and definitely I've, I've experienced the same thing in work where you're, you're forced to kind of uh, focus your energy and your attention on the stuff that's really going to move the needle even if that's not necessarily the game that you wanted to play or the way you wanted to wanted to go about it but it's the it's the only way you're going to you're going to get through the situation yeah yeah definitely i think particularly at the start of projects it's really easy to feel like this so you might not be in a hole but you might just be starting out on a project and you're just like i do not know where to begin to actually make any headway on this or have any progress and so if you're in that position i strongly recommend you play a few rounds of monopoly deal because it really really helps to sharpen the mind to think right what is the most impactful move or couple of moves i can make to get the ball rolling and to switch you know to turn the tables on this a little bit uh, it is is highly effective i'm a big fan nice game of the decade well deserved monopoly deal maybe we need to get like a, a little trophy or plaque or something and send it to monopoly headquarters and see what they say in response maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a let's play business edition let's play business edition oh that would be the dream that's that's some serious merch opportunities right there who actually run who owns it is it hasbro i i I have no idea. I don't know about game company org structures. All I know is business. <laughs> All you know is business. Level two. Ding goes the interview. Welcome back, listeners, to our second round of the podcast, which is Ding Goes the Interview. Excited about this one. Hopefully this is the most insightful of all the rounds. So Ding Goes the Interview. As mentioned, this is where we're going to interview a guest on each episode to basically ask them about games and how it's influenced their life and, and everything else really got some interesting interview questions lined up for you now Zuki as this is our first episode to get everyone in the swing of it I'm actually going to you know as I've asked you to be my co-host on this podcast uh, I was going to interview you does that does that fly um well this is a surprise uh, I'm totally unprepared um but uh, yeah, I guess you could ask me some questions and I'll pretend that, that I have something insightful to say, sure. Cool, that flies. So these questions are going to revolve around, you know, favourite ever games, how you feel they relate to your career, all of those kind of things. So hopefully at the end of the section, our listeners will be thinking, oh yeah, games. 
They're great for business. Hopefully, in those exact words. <laughs> so I'll be giving Zuki dings. I'll be giving him points, dings, throughout this interview when I think he says something particularly insightful or interesting. First question, what is your favourite ever game and why? And just to qualify this question, it can be a video game, it can be a board game, card game, any type of game at all. We're not restrictive here. Favourite game ever and why? Okay, I'm going for a card game. It is, if you ask me, the only card game worth playing from a standard 52 card deck of cards. Uh, and it is called Shithead. Sorry for swearing, that is uh, that is the name of the game. <laughs> Shithead is a fantastic game. For those of you who haven't played it, uh, for those of you who have, uh, congratulations on having a great taste in card games. For those of you who haven't played it, prepare to have your world rocked. Big statements all round here. <laughs> Big statements. You know me, Ben, um, I'm not one to use hyperbole. I, uh, I'm very, very, very measured in how I describe things. So it's fairly simple. Um, you use a standard 52 deck of cards. Each player has three cards face down. They can't see them, no one can see them. They then have three cards face up that everyone can see. They then have three cards in their hand that only they can see. You play one card at a time going around the table and you just have to play higher than the card below. There's also a deck. Every time you put a card down, you pick a card up unless you have more than three cards. That's the kind of rhythm of the game. There are certain power cards um, that will do certain things. So I like this game, and the reason I think it's very similar to business is because, um, similar to the Monopoly deal in some ways, in the, world of, in the world of work, in the world of business, you have a load of information that you have access and availability to that your competitors don't have access and availability to. Shithead is the same as this. You have a load of information which everyone can see. That's like the, the common market information. Um, and then you have a load of information that only you can see. And then there's a load of information that no one can see. You don't know what's coming. It could totally change the game. A bit like, I don't know, a pandemic or something like that. When, when those cards get played and they can come from the deck or they can come from the hidden cards underneath, uh, that can really help me in my favor. Or it could be something that totally screws me over and helps my opponents. But then I've also got the cards that I can see. And those cards, I can play in whatever way I think is going to be most beneficial to turn the game in my favor. And that, again, is just the nature of business in the working world. This is kind of what I, what I like about Shithead as a game. You've got this perfect balance, which mimics the real world of there's an element of luck and things that you can't predict that are going to affect you and they can affect you in a good way or a bad way. But then you've also got an element of skill and playing your cards in the way that's most going to uh, help your game or hurt your opponents and then there's obviously there are points in the game when the only cards that I have left to play are the ones that are face up so I can see what they are but my opponents can also see what they are and they can play in a way that makes it more difficult because they've got all the information on the table and I only have some of the information there have been a number of times when I've been playing shithead and I've been I found myself thinking this is this is an incredibly difficult situation for me to be in and I end up getting like shafted by the way the cards have been played but I just have to keep going and I just have to do whatever the, be um, the best move I can do is uh, and I found myself thinking the same thing often in the world of work. And interestingly actually just to follow up on this so interestingly when, you, when you're playing obviously other people have you ever noticed some people like obsessing over the cards that they can't see, i.e. the things that they have no control of, if that makes sense. Because I can definitely imagine certain player types doing that. We're like, oh, I don't know where to play this because they're just staring at that deck of unknown cards all the time thinking, but what if this is in there? I just don't know. Yes. And there's this interesting moment in the game when someone will be on their final three cards that are face down. They'll be 
putting their hand on the first one and then they'll be like no 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 i can't play that one and then they'll put it on the second one and they'll be almost trying to read the cards but it's a pointless exercise really because you're not getting any more information you just have to you just have to make a decision and go and i think that's quite similar to um the problem of uh, analysis paralysis that a lot of businesses face where you want more information to make a more confident decision but that information is never going to come so you kind of just have to make a decision and move I've double dinged you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm vibing off of that lesson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So that's your favourite ever game and why. And what, what a, a beautiful analogy, Zuki, I must say, of, of business and the things that you can and can't control within it and, and what you should kind of put your time and effort to. Because I'm guessing from that what you're basically saying is don't obsess over the things you can't control. Focus on the things you can and play the best hand you can based on the information you do have. Yes, exactly. Analyse what's in front of you and what you, what you, the information that you can work with. Don't obsess over the unknowns especially if those unknowns will always be unknowns. So, leading on from that question, Zuki, I'd like you to name a challenging moment in your career and tell us any skills that you think games helped you develop that actually helped you overcome that moment. So what skills you've learned from games that have helped you to overcome a particularly challenging moment in your career? Okay, so Ben, I've been thinking about this question. The answer that I've come to um, is not necessarily one moment but it's kind of an overarching theme that's run across my career. The game that's kind of taught me or given me the skills, I'd say, to kind of overcome this theme and kind of, I'd say, get myself to a fairly good place uh, has been a game that we all know and love. Uh, It's a game that uh, used to be one of the most popular, actually the most popular online, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Uh, It is World of Warcraft. To any World of Warcraft players out there, I just want to say um, you're not alone. Uh, I too. Uh, or ex-players, rather. <laughs> ex-players, yes. I too am in recovery. It's been a long recovery of, what, about 15 years? <laughs> it's been a very long recovery. Yeah. So World of Warcraft taught me a lot. The biggest thing that it taught me was basically how to have a career. And I'll tell you, I'll just explain a little bit about what, what I mean by that. That's a big learning. So I'm, I'm ready with the dings. This better be good. It is. Like Most people go to school or university for this, but no. I just uh, <laughs> it's played a bit World of Warcraft. So World of Warcraft is um, a game where basically you start as like a fairly miniature, inexperienced character and you uh, gain a load of experience, do a load of quests and you reach level 60 or that's what it used to be. I don't know what it is these days. But yeah, so you get to level 60 and that's like the, the end of the game, if you like, but it's actually the beginning of the game. So that's like school, if you like. You're just learning how stuff works. And then you usually join a guild, which, you know, might be like a company. Uh, it's a collection of players who play together and you start doing um, raids. Uh, and raids are these like um, closed off dungeons with incredibly difficult um, monsters that you have to beat and you kind of you usually team up in teams of 20 to 40 players so big teams in order to get through them that's how difficult these um these dungeons are that is insanely big teams as well as i think about it like how many games where you have to cluster together and coordinate yourselves as a group of like 40 people yes and uh, this is like 15 years ago as well this is not you know we're not talking about like fiber optic broadband at the time this is like this is some pretty uh, pretty young technology and you're having to you know coordinate all these different different people it was it was chaos but it was also very effective uh, so I hit level 60 and then I joined like um, I joined a pretty uh, pretty elite guild on my ser- on my server because uh, I'm a bit of a bit of a big dog like that I don't mess around uh, and I started raiding and what I learned quite quickly was that 
so the dungeons come in tiers so you've got like an entry level dungeon and you get a load of gear and and like equipment and weapons and stuff from that dungeon and then you can move on to a more difficult dungeon for players of the game i'm talking about molten core you'd, you'd do that and then you'd move on to say blackwing lair you can't just move to a, a second level dungeon without having all the gear from the first level dungeon because you need that gear to make your character good enough to beat the the more difficult energies in the next tier so what i learned quite quickly was that I kind of needed to commit here like I if I if I didn't like put in the time and put in the work and really commit to like helping my 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 guild my team to um to beat these lower level dungeons then they would do that without me and then I wouldn't be able to move on to the the next tier and then the next tier and then the next tier um so I kind of realized quite quickly I just had to commit and if everyone else if all the other players moved ahead of me I was going to fall behind it was going to be really difficult for me to catch up and that really is a lesson that I've applied to my the world of work as well. When you have a career, you kind of need to be constantly making an effort to kind of hone your skills and pursue new experience and keep learning and developing and keeping up with the latest and greatest in, in the industry, whether it's technology or it's uh, best practices and strategies or just how different marketplaces are changing. And if you don't keep on top of that stuff, then you'll kind of hit a ceiling and you'll struggle to progress. Um, but that was a lesson that I learned fairly early on at a very young age of 14, 15. <laughs> very young age, very young. But also interesting, like you say, if if you choose not to actively like invest in your learning all the time and improving yourself, like you say, it's not like, oh, well, I can stay where I am. You will, others will, others will, and you will fall behind. You will fall behind, yes. So um, what I'd recommend in, in if, you know, if you're thinking about your career and how you can stay on top of the latest and greatest in your industry, uh, I would listen to this podcast um, every episode, every month. I would subscribe and you'll have everything you could possibly need to get ahead. So interesting that you draw this analogy and I've double dinged you as well for this. And, and I think it's a really good lesson generally for, for careers. I'd be curious to know if there was any particular moment in your career, any particular role you were in or something like that, where you really took this lesson to heart? That's a great question. That's a great question. You're really dragging me back to the, the heart of the original question, <laughs> despite my efforts to walk around it. So I would probably say, thinking back to my first job actually, uh, was at an advertising agency. And I'd been working there, I'd come in through a graduate development program and I'd completed that. And then after about a year in the agency, I decided that I basically wanted to move to Canada fairly soon. So what I did was I kind of had a bit of a plan for what I wanted to happen when I moved to Canada. Um, and I decided I basically wanted to go to Canada with management experience under my belt so that I could move into a management role and wouldn't have to take kind of a sidestep. Um, in my career but that meant that I kind of had to get that management experience first and that I needed to build that into my Canada timeline so I kind of took some quite concerted steps here I committed and I knew that I was gonna have to put the work in so what that meant was um, I was working on my main clients uh, which was a, a big retailer at the time uh, and I bolted on uh, an additional client which was a bit smaller but a very different type it was uh, um, FMCG I have no idea what that is but yeah <laughs> like it was crisps so what that meant was it was a very different type of advertising. So um, I had that extra um, bolt on my bow. Then I also took over organizing the, um, the agency work experience program. 
And what that meant was that I had access to the management team and I was kind of contributing something to how the agency was running, which again, gave, gave me some exposure, but also demonstrated that I could do work that was not just, you know, within my day job. And then on top of that, um, I did some work with a pro bono client. So, which again, because it was pro bono, it meant that I was able to operate at a more senior level than, than where I was, which was very junior at the time. And it also gave me exposure because it was kind of pro bono and it was with a charity to more senior people within, within the organization. So I was, I was doing my day job as it was expected of me, but I took on a lot on top of that just to demonstrate. And, you know, this was me, you know, doing these extra dungeons and collecting all this extra gear and these extra weapons and stuff and strapping them onto me. And what that meant was I, when it came to the promotion window, I had a very strong case for my promotion because not only did I have the relationships within the agency, but I demonstrated that I could operate in a way above the confines of my fairly junior job at the time. So that, that meant I got that promotion into that management position and it meant that I, I could move to Canada and I could move into a management position as I wanted to. Um, when, when I made that that jump over to over the pond. So you took a very, very specific step of thinking, I'm going to do exactly this to invest in my, you know, in myself, in my in my learning, in my gear, in my, you know, yeah. in my armor. In my character. In your character. With a very specific end goal in mind, and then bam, hit the end goal. And then bam, I hit the end goal. I, uh, yeah, I beat all those bosses, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> I would love to say, the lesson from this is everyone should go play World of Warcraft. I'm actually going to say don't do that and just listen to the podcast instead because it's a serious time suck. I, I know what you mean, learn a lot from it, but it's a serious time suck. And interestingly, just on that, so that must have meant that you were pretty insanely busy. Like, how much did that encroach on your personal time? And I think you know how much that encroached on my personal time. I remember cancelling playing squash with you on many occasions at the last minute because uh, I was working late. So it did it did take a hit. Yes, it was a lot, a massive cost of time at that point in my career, but I was young, I was poor. Um, I didn't have a huge amount to do with my time anyway. So it just meant that kind of the steps ended up moving a little bit more quickly, I think. Interesting. And where on that though, to you know, ask the tough questions, where do you think the line is on that of when you're you're doing too much because that's you know thinking of world of warcraft again you can invest way too much time as well like it can just suck in all your time that that's a good question and i think with my with that specific example i had a very clear end date and outcome uh so i knew the direction that i was moving in and i knew therefore that i in order to get there i kind of uh i needed to just work really hard and do a load of things in a quite a short period of time in order to speed up that timeline and kind of get me a bit of a guarantee that i was going to get the outcome that I was looking for. All of those things were pointing me towards a clear objective. It wasn't just, I was saying no to other things, but I was saying yes to the things that was gonna help me to, to that specific end game. I suppose this is like when people take on evening courses and things like that. Again, the course is very time limited, but if you were to just permanently go from back to back evening courses for just like 10 years, you would absolutely exhaust oh, yeah, you, yourself. You, you, you totally would burn out. Um, and there was also like, there was a bit of a life stage thing. Like I, I was young, I was just, just starting my career. I was full of beans, I was energetic. I was poor and living in London and like, I didn't have a, working late was free and I got a free dinner. Going to the pub with my mates was, was a bit costly. <laughs> so there was some, there was some benefits to that as well. So we've, you know, we've covered a challenging moment in your career. Now I wanna, we're gonna, we're gonna interrogate you as a person a little bit here, Zuki. So if you were a hero in a game, what kind of hero would you be? So describe that persona to me based on kind of how you are in work. What is your work hero persona? I'm assuming this is like a, a, an RPG, a role-playing game. I'm going a little bit into the fantasy space. Imagine Lord of the Rings 
I'm going for a a stealthy bow and arrow kind of character. So I'm kind of um I'm I'm on I'm on the peripheries of the battle, kind of sniping individual enemies off one by one. I'm not running in there with like all my plate armor and my big sword and my shield and like picking up a hundred enemies and just getting overwhelmed and like battling through them. No 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 no. I'm skirting around the edges. I'm picking off enemies one by one, slowly but surely. And that's, I'd say that's probably my, my MO, my, uh, my modus operandi in, in, in business. Because I, I recognise... So kind of cowardly. <laughs> a bit cowardly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't confront people about things directly. <laughs> but no, I recognise I can only do so many things at one time. So I kind of have to prioritise. So instead of just trying to like overwhelm myself with a hundred different things, I'll go for this thing first and then this thing first, then this thing, and then this thing, and then this thing, and try and t- pick things off one by one. So you're quite targeted. Your, your, your kind of game character is quite targeted in what they do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, that approach has its problems. It probably takes me a bit longer to get through those hundred enemies than like someone running in with a big shield. But hey, uh, and then I have a special ability as well, or a couple maybe. So when I get attacked uh, by, let's say I accidentally pick up like, you know, three enemies at a time, or like overwhelm myself with three, two, three, three problems, four problems, and I end up making a mistake while I'm there, then I have this ability where when I take damage, it powers up a special ability to help me get through that scenario. That's probably an analogy for um, in in the world of work. I make mistakes quite often, as I'm sure anyone who's ever worked with me who's listening to this can attest to. But I learn from them. So, you know, I, I get hit by an enemy with their big claws, uh, and then that kind of powers up my special ability and then it gives me, you know, I'm able to just like dash away and escape or whatever it might be because, you know, I learned from those mistakes. Interesting. A very fleshed out, you know, hero game character you've described there. I, I appreciated the richness of your character and very much kind of rooted in that game format. So I appreciate that a lot. I, I, have a, I feel like I have a very good, in my mind's eye, I can really see you going around the edge of like problems in work and just sniping at them letting other people go in and take the heat in the middle and you just strategically snipe yeah some people call it lazy i think it's strategic you know um and that's i'm standing by that thank you zuki and moving on to our final question for you in this it dingoes my interview segment so have you seen any good examples of games or all kind of game principles being used in the real world? So, you know, maybe one big example or a couple of examples. What have you seen, really? I, I have. Uh, and I've seen some done quite well. I've seen do- some done not so well. When I was thinking this through, uh, there was a particular example that I just couldn't get out of, out of my head. And that is there's a, a chain of wine bars in London called Vagabond. Have you ever been, Ben? I don't know. I know. I've not been to Vagabond. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've been to one of them. Okay, I'd recommend. Next time you're in town and the world's open up again, we can go. So it's this wine bar. Uh, and the way it works is you walk in and you go to the counter and you get a, given a card. So you give them some money, you get a card. And then there are these just rows and rows of these um, like little mini fridges with where you can basically pour your own wine by putting your card in and then like the machine like pours pours you an exact serving and it's great because you kind of you have your card and you go around and there's little like cards that tell you a little bit about the wine and you can try like a merlot from new zealand and then you can try can do they do merlot in new zealand i don't know and then you can try a pinot grigio from chile or whatever it might be the whole experience is like a a bit of a game because you're kind of going around and you're kind of just basically it's kind of choose your own adventure yeah instead of being faced with a, a menu where you've just got you know a list of wines you don't really know anything about and you just kind of say, go for the second cheapest white or whatever it might be you you kind of just get to go around and do a bit of exploring and a bit of tasting here and a bit of tasting there and you no doubt end up spending more every time i've been i've been like okay i'll put 20 pound on my card and that's it 
and then I top it up, and then I top it up, and then I'm just a bit too pissed to make any real decisions, to be honest. I've, I have been to a bar like that before, and I, I do know what you mean when, like, the thrill of it a bit. Mm. And I, I remember reading um, a book about this, about kind of gamification and, and what you see in, in kind of daily life. And one of the, the big things is, like, creativity and playfulness and empowering someone to be, like, quite creative and playful and, and have their own decisions within the confines of the game. So if the game is, like, you've got £10 on a card and you've, you've got to decide what wines you're going to pick as, as a result of it, being able to, like, see how much per glass and just put how much you want in things like that it's quite playful in that you're trying to think all oh, right i want to get it to land exactly on 10 pounds it just there's a real playfulness to it that, that is absurd really because they're basically getting you to do their job for them either getting you to pour your own wines and select your own wine so it's absurd it is it really is but yeah it's it's, it's a great experience it's, it's very clearly very memorable because uh, i've thought about it and i just couldn't get it out of my head but i have thought that you know they can probably add to this experience as well so what they could do is on the little signs, if anyone from Vagabond is listening, here's some free information for you. What they could do is on the little signs that tell you a little bit about the wine, they could encourage you to do like some side-by-side taste testing or, you know, you, you pour yourself a little bit of the, the New Zealand Merlot. And then afterwards, why don't you try a, um, a Merlot from, I don't know, Italy. You can, ha- you can taste kind of like the difference between those regions. Or it might be that, you know, everyone always talks about like, oh yeah, the, the, the tannins or uh, uh, this is a, uh, a, a full-bodied red. What does that mean? They could encourage you to try a non-full-bodied red next to a full-bodied red so you kind of get an idea of actually what the full-bodiedness means and you kind of gamify that, um, that learning experience a bit. I'm going to give you a ding for that, Zuki. That was very interesting. And it, you could even do things in that, like, again, free knowledge for Vagabond. We are available for consulting. Uh, they could even do things like upvotes. Like, if you really liked that wine, you give it, like, you know when you, you know when you go through airports or wherever, really, where you get those uh, smiley faces and it's like smile, no smile and sad kind of thing. And that's, like, customer feedback. You could have that on the wines and then you have, like, you know, what the most popular wine is based on what's getting them. I don't know, something, something's in that, something's in that. Um, to like make it a bit more playful. Yeah, yeah, no, I like it, I like it. But that would that would benefit different people in a different way because, you know, if I'm like wanting to, you know, learn a bit about wine uh, and I'm happy to spend a bit more money doing that, then I could, you know, use the information and the thing, the setup I just talked about. If I'm wanting to go there, I want to have a nice evening, but I don't necessarily want to be spending loads of money, then I can go around and I'll be like, oh, I know I want a, a, a Merlot or whatever. Why do I keep going on about Merlot? I don't know. But if I like a Merlot, I can just kind of go around and this Merlot's got way more happy faces than that Merlot over there. So I'll probably just go with the safe bet rather than risking the other Merlot and um, and, and having to try both and figure out which one I actually like. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Interesting. Well, like I say, I've given you your ding there. You've uh, and, and you know what? That is the final question of the interview. So would you like to know how many dings I've given you in total, Zuki? I would love to. Let's have a little look. It's going to take you a while, I'm sure. Take, yeah, yeah. 12 dings. 12 dings in total, Zuki. Just double check. 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 dings. Not bad. 12 dings. You know what, Ben? I'm going to give you a ding uh, for that little addition to the Vagabond um, experience. Oh, because, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm liking that too. I'm vibing. Yeah, I'm vibing. I'm cool. You're vibing. I'm vibing. And, and I cannot stress enough the Vagabond. We are available for consulting. Yes, and we are very expensive. Level three, Game My Problem. So listeners, it is time for Game My Problem, the final round of this inaugural podcast episode. So the way this works, 
as as listeners we are encouraging you to email in with problems that you have in business or in your work you know whatever it might be it could be a hr issue it could be a sales issue it could be a strategy issue it could be whatever anything any level of specificity it doesn't matter what it is we we'll need to write those issues in at zuki can you remember our email address uh it is I can't remember our email address. <laughs> no, not can I. Is it Let's Play Business Podcast at gmail.com? Yes, it is. It's Let's Play Business Podcast, one word, I believe. Let's Play Business Podcast at gmail.com. Let's Play Business Podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, we want you to write in with your business problems, and then we will spend 60 seconds, because that's how much we're investing in you, 60 seconds coming up with a game to solve that problem. So we have already, for our first episode, a email in for a problem that we're going to solve, Zuki. So get your thinking cap on, ready. So we've had someone email in. I'm not going to name them. We'll keep it anonymous for this one. Hello, Let's Play Business. I work in a transport department. We have to make a decision that will save us some budget. And no matter what option we put forward, there is at least one stakeholder that loses out. This means that conversations go round in circles and a decision is never made, as at least one person strongly objects each time. The typical excuse is, we need to gather more information to make a decision. And so we come back a week later and hit the same barrier. Can you help me break the impasse? So any option that they present, there's always a loser, effectively. You know, someone is going to lose more of their budget than others or something like that. There's not really an option where everyone is kind of equal in what they lose, as it were, from their budget. So that what that means is whenever they present an option, they always get knockback. And that knockback actually normally comes in the form of the term you mentioned earlier, like analysis paralysis. They say where what happens is they, they say something like, oh, we need to do more analysis to, to work out that this is the best route, or, you know, something like that. That's often the objection. So what it means is that it just gets kicked into the grass again, do some more work, bring it to the bring it to the meeting, still can't get sign-off, same result, and it just keeps going like this. And this. This has been going on for ages, apparently. And so what they're asking is, is there a game that we can design for them that can help them to break through this impasse and reach a decision on how they're going to make those budget savings in this transport department whatever it is so that is our brief zuki so each of us is going to design a separate game here one minute and your time starts now Time up, that is a minute up. Your minute is over, Zuki. No more brainstorming. That's it. You gotta have your game ready. That was that was tough. That was seriously tough. That was a sweat, let me tell you. That was a sweat. But uh, I've got something. Have you got something here? Uh I've got something, yeah. <laughs> you got something. Yeah, let's see how polished these are. So I've come up with I suppose like a card game, a very kind of low-key card game. So what I'm saying is, so say there's like five stakeholders or five people that are involved in these discussions. So each person gets three cards. They get three cards, okay? Now, two of those cards are like what I call pro cards. So they're like a plus one vote card. And they have to use those to vote for one of the options, okay? And the option they have to vote for, for those pro cards, one of them has to go towards an option that 
is like disadvantageous to them, basically. That option that's been presented isn't necessarily beneficial to them, like it might cut their budget a bit harder, but it, you know, the case that's been made for it is quite convincing. So for every vote an option gets, it gets like plus one. So if there's, you know, four different options being discussed, it gets a plus one vote. You, everyone also has one con card. So it's basically a minus one where they're like, I don't like that option, I'm not sure it works, minus one. So you subtract a point. And so, as I say, five people, three cards each, so 15 cards in play. And then at the end, they look at what one has the highest point score. So, you know, the highest one might have had six plus one cards and, and one minus one card net score of five, higher than everything else, say. And that is the option they go for. And there is no debate. Like, this is how it's going to be decided. So you have to use your card strategically. But, like, this is it. There is no walking away. The, the highest score wins. It's just a simple card game to break that impasse that empowers people to have their opinion on it, but also limits them in the impact of that opinion, as it were. I'd have to say I do like that, because it's a form of voting, essentially. But you've got the added element of being able to vote for things, but also being able to use a vote against something that you think is going to disproportionately harm you exactly exactly so that's my game it's i'm gonna give myself five out of ten for that i'm pretty lukewarm on it but that's what 60 seconds does to you that's what 60 seconds does okay that's fair enough that's very un-british of you ben to give yourself such a middle of the road score exactly so your job now is to blow me out of the water with your game let's see what you got okay um this game is called blow them out the water um and it's 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 a simple game which just doesn't involve any water at all actually um so the concept is essentially a race so i'm working off the assumption that we're at an impasse where everyone's kind of beating beating their own drum but not really beating anyone else's because they just kind of want to help but they want to help themselves so we're going to break that so we're going to force everyone to basically become a champion for their second favourite. They can choose what their second favourite is, but it can't be their own proposal. It has to be their proposal that they would choose if their, pro their proposal was off the table. So take their second choice. Then everyone on like little slips of paper or pieces of card writes down ar arguments in favour of their second choice. They do this blind, so no one knows who everyone else's second choice is. They write down their, their favourites. They again, then get put into a stack of cards on the table. So they're face down, so we, no, no one can see them. Then, each person takes, uh, it could just be a bit of office stationery, but let's call them just stones. So they're just like little things, little markers that represent them. And they're, they're, they're laid out on a grid on a table. The cards get turned over one by one. And every time there's an argument in favor of say proposal number one, then proposal number one's stone gets moved forward one place on the grid. So they keep getting flipped over and eventually you'll get a piece that will get to the end of the table first or will cross the finish line first or will just get the most, the most votes. The one that gets the most votes is the one that has got the most secondary support. It's no one's favourite, but it's the most people's second favourite. It's got the most arguments in favour. Uh, so it encourages compromise effectively. Yes, you're forcing people to basically, everyone loses because no one's allowed to support their favourite. But it means that the most people will be happy with their with their second choice. Oh, interesting. I like the format. Have you got, and your name for this game is Blow Them Out the Water. Blow Them Out the Water. It's simply because I wanted to blow you out the water, Ben. So, did it work? It was pretty good. It's pretty good. I, so you know what? I don't think we should be the arbiters of this. I think we should actually throw it out to our listeners. So, what we'll do, listeners, we can facilitate a way for you to vote on what you think is the best game between episodes. We may not have the vote in by the time of the next episode, but, you know, we'll, we'll announce it at some point. So, uh, I'll call mine Cards for Budget Cuts. That's what I'm going to call my game. And yours is going to be called Blow Them Out of the Water, yeah? Blow Them Out of the Water. <laughs> right, got it. Cards for budget cuts or Blow Them Out of the Water. What game do you think better solves that problem? And to that listener, there you go. We've we solved it for you. Just, just take one of those options in and, and I'm sure you're going to break that impasse. 
Anyway, all that's left to say, listeners, is thank you so much for tuning in. I say tuning in, it's not live, but, you know, listening to us on Spotify, whatever, however you've listened to us. Uh, please, you know, subscribe. If you've got any business problems that you want solving, then please email them in to us. Let'splaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com. That's let'splaybusinesspodcast at gmail.com so that we can have them for our Game My Problem round. So please email those in. Welcome to do them anonymously. Otherwise, uh, thank you for joining me, Zuki, and... I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for having me, Ben. See you see you next week, month, whenever it is. See you in the future. See you in the future. See you next episode. Mm-hmm.